The Christian on the Mount by Thomas Watson Concerning the Usefulness of Meditation Having answered these questions, I shall next show the benefit and usefulness of meditation. I know not any other duty that brings a greater income and revenue than this. It is reported of Thales that he left the affairs of state to become a contemplating philosopher. Oh, did we know the advantage that comes by this duty we would often retire from the noise and hurry of the world that we might give ourselves to meditation. The benefit of meditation appears in seven particulars. Number one, meditation is an excellent means to profit by the word. Reading may bring a truth into the head. Meditation brings it into the heart. It is better to meditate on one sermon than to hear five sermons. Many complain that they do not profit from sermons. This may be the chief reason, because they chew not the cud. They do not meditate on what they have heard. If an angel should come from heaven and preach to men, nay, if Jesus Christ himself were their preacher, they would never profit without meditation. It is the setting of the milk that makes it churn to cream, and it is the setting of the truth in the mind that makes it turn to spiritual nourishment. The bee sucks the flower and then works it in the hive and makes honey of it. The hearing of a truth priest is the sucking of the flower. There must be a working of it in the hive of the heart by meditation. Then it turns to honey. There is a disease in children called the rickets. When they have large heads, but their lower parts are small and thrive not. Many professors have the spiritual rickets. They have large heads, much knowledge, but yet they thrive not in godliness. Their heart is faint, their feet feeble. They do not walk vigorously in the ways of God. And the cause of this disease is the lack of meditation. Bible knowledge without meditation makes us no better than devils. Satan is an angel of light, yet black enough. Number two, meditation makes the heart serious and then it is ever best. Meditation ballasts the heart. When the ship is ballast, it is not so soon overturned by the wind. And when the heart is ballast with meditation, it is not so soon overturned with vanity. Some Christians have light hearts. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 4. His prophets are light. A light Christian will be blown into any opinion or vice. You may blow a feather any way. There are many feathery Christians. The devil no sooner comes with a temptation, but they are ready to take fire. But meditation makes the heart serious, and God says of a serious Christian, as David of Goliath's sword, There is none like that. Give it to me. Meditation consolidates a Christian. Solid gold is best. The solid Christian is the only metal that will pass current with God. The more serious the heart grows, the more spiritual. And the more spiritual, the more it resembles the father of spirits. When a man is serious, he is fittest for employment. The serious Christian is fittest for service. And it is meditation which brings the heart into this blessed frame. Number three. Meditation is the bellows of the affections. Meditation hatches good affections as the hen hatches her young ones by sitting on them. We light affection at this fire of meditation. While I was musing, the fire burned, Psalm 39.3. David was meditating on mortality, and see how his heart was affected with it. Verse 4, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, 
and that my life is fleeing away. The reason our affections are so chill and cold in spiritual things is because we do not warm ourselves more at the fire of meditation. Illumination makes us shining lamps. Meditation makes us burning lamps. What is it to know Christ by speculation and not by affection? It is the proper work of meditation to excite and blow up holy affections. What sparkling of love in such a soul! When David had meditated on God's law, he could not choose it but love it. Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all the day. When the spouse had by meditation viewed those singular beauties in her beloved, white and ruddy, Canticles chapter 5, she grew lovesick. Verse 8, Galatius Caracciolus, that famous Marquis of Vico, who had been much in contemplation of Christ, breaks out into a holy pathos. Let their money perish with them, who esteem all the gold in the world worth one hour's communion with Jesus Christ. Number four, meditation fits for holy duties. The musician first puts his instrument in tune, and then he plays a song. Just so, meditation tunes the heart, and then it is fit for any holy service. As the sails of the ship, so is meditation to duty. It carries on the soul more swiftly. Number one, meditation fits for hearing. When the ground is softened by meditation, now is a fit time for the seed of the word to be sown. Number two, meditation fits for prayer. Prayer is the spiritual pulse of the soul, by which it beats strongly after God. There is no living without prayer. A man cannot live unless he breathes. No more can a soul live unless it breathes out its desires to God. Prayer ushers in mercy, and prayer sanctifies mercy. It makes mercy to be mercy. 1 Timothy 4.5 Prayer has power over God. Hosea chapter 12, verse 4 Prayer comes with letters of request to heaven. Prayer is the spiritual leech which sucks the poison of sin out of the soul. What a blessed, shall I say, duty or privilege is prayer. Meditation is a help to prayer. Gerson calls it a nurse of prayer. Meditation is like oil to the lamp. The lamp of prayer will soon go out unless meditation feeds it. Meditation and prayer are like two turtle doves. If you separate one, the other dies. A skillful angler observes the time and season when the fish best bite. Then he throws in his hook. Just so, when the heart is warmed by meditation, now is the best season to throw in the hook of prayer and fish for mercy. After Isaac had been in a field meditating, he was fit for prayer when he came home. When the gun is full of powder, it is fittest to discharge. So when the mind is full of good thoughts, a Christian is fittest by prayer to discharge. Now he sends up whole volleys of sighs and groans to heaven. Meditation has a double benefit in it. It pours in and pours out. First, it pours good thoughts into the mind and then pours those out again in prayer. Meditation first furnishes with matter to pray and then it furnishes with a heart to pray. Psalm 39, 3. I was musing, says David, and the very next words are a prayer. Lord, make me to know my end. Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6. I muse on the works of your hands. I stretch forth my hands to you. The musing of his head made way for the stretching forth of his hands in prayer. When Christ was upon the mount, then he prayed. Just so, when the soul is upon the mount of meditation, 
Now it is in tune for prayer. Prayer is the child of meditation. Meditation leads the van and prayer brings up the rear. Number three, meditation fits for humiliation. When David had been contemplating the works of creation, their splendor, harmony, motion, influence, the plumes of pride fall off and he begins to have self-abasing thoughts. Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Number four, meditation is a strong antidote against sin. Most sin is committed for lack of meditation. Men often sin through ignorance. Would they be so brutishly sensual as they are if they did seriously meditate upon what sin is? Would they take this viper in their hand if they did but consider its sting? Sin puts a worm into conscience, a sting into death, and a fire into hell. Did men meditate on this, that after all their dainty dishes, death will bring in the reckoning? They must pay the reckoning in hell. They would say, as David in another sense, let me not eat of their dainties. Psalm 141.4 The devil's apple has a bitter core in it. Did men think of this? Surely it would put them into a cold sweat and be as the angels drawn sword to affright them. Meditation is a golden shield to beat back sin. When Joseph's mistress tempted him to wickedness, meditation did preserve him. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Meditation makes the heart like wet tinder. It will not take the devil's fire. Number five, meditation is a cure of covetousness. The covetous man is an idolater, Colossians 3, 5. Though he will not bow down to an idol, yet he worships engraved images in his coins. Now meditation is an excellent means to lessen our esteem of the world. Great things seem little to him who stands high. If he could live among the stars, the earth would seem as nothing. To a Christian who stands high upon the pinnacle of meditation, how do all the worldly things disappear and seem as nothing to him? He does not see in them what men in the world see in them. He has gotten into his tower, and heaven is his prospect. What is said of God? He dwells on high. He humbles himself to behold the things done on the earth. Psalm 113.6 I may allude to with reverence. The Christian who dwells on high by meditation accounts it an abasing of himself to look down upon the earth and behold the things done in this lower region. Paul, whose meditations were sublime and seraphic, looked at the things which are not seen. 2 Corinthians 4. How did he trample upon the world? How did he scorn it? I am crucified to the world, Galatians 6.14, as if he had said, It is too much below me to mind it. He who is catching at the crown will not fish for minnows. A Christian who is elevated by holy meditation will not set his heart where his feet should be upon the earth. Number six, holy meditation banishes vain and sinful thoughts. It purges the imagination. How long shall vain thoughts lodge within you? Jeremiah 4.14 The mind is the shop where sin must be framed. Sin begins at the thoughts. The thoughts are the first plotters and contrivers of evil. The mind and imagination are the stage where sin is first acted. The malicious man acts over his sin in his thoughts. He contemplates revenge. 
The impure person acts over his immorality in his thoughts. He contemplates lust. The Lord humbles us for our contemplative wickedness. Proverbs thirty thirty two. If you have thought evil, lay your hand upon your mouth. How much sin do men commit in the chamber of their imagination? Meditation in God's law would be a good means to banish these sinful thoughts. If David had carried the book of the law about him and meditated in it, he would not have looked upon Bathsheba with a lascivious eye. Second Samuel chapter two eleven. Holy meditation would have quenched that wildfire of lust. The word of God is pure. Psalm one nineteen one forty. Not only subjectively but effectively. It is not only pure in itself, but it makes them pure who meditate in it. Christ whipped the buyers and sellers out of the temple. John two fifteen. Holy meditation would whip out idle and vagrant thoughts and not allow them to lodge in the mind. What is the reason the angels in heaven have not one vain thought? They have a sight of God, their eyes never off Him. If the eye of the soul were fixed on God by meditation, how would vain, impure thoughts vanish? As when the woman was in the tower and Abimelech came near to the tower to have entered, but she threw a millstone out of the tower upon him and killed him. Judges chapter 9, verse 52. Just so, when we have gotten into the high tower of meditation and sinful thoughts would come near to enter, we may from this tower throw a millstone upon them and destroy them. And thus you have seen the benefit of meditation.